Hey everyone, New Geneva Academy Shepherds Conference is on October 6th and 7th here in Bloomington at Trinity Reformed Church. You've heard about this already, but I do not tire of reminding you. The title of the conference is The Good Soldier, and we really want you to come, especially if you are a deacon or an elder in your church. And bring your wife. Part of the program will be specifically for the ladies. So this is not just a men's conference, all right? We certainly want the ladies to be there because their role in helping their husbands in this work of leading the church is absolutely essential. Now, being a good soldier is all about conflict, and so we've been talking about conflict in this podcast in the last few episodes. So it's really not surprising that in this episode, we touch a little bit on the fighting that we've had over COVID and masks and all that in this last year and a half or so. Now, of course, that's not surprising, but you might be surprised by Tim's response to it all. So with that, let's jump in. The conversation today is with Tim Bailey and Max Carell. My name is Lucas Weeks. This is the Out of Our Minds podcast. So what's then the difference between good conflict and bad conflict? I think this is something we talk about in premarital counseling with couples. And so so maybe, Max, we can shoot this your direction. Good conflict and bad conflict in, what do we tell people in premarital counseling about that? <laughs> you don't want to talk about that? Well, I I actually wanted to, I had a thought about, oh, oh, okay, go that ahead. may tie in, it may not, but I had a thought about how we have many in the church today who want to experience conflict. And so they're involved in all kinds of conflict. They're involved in conflict about masks and distancing and Mm. vaccines. Yeah. And they're, they're going crazy in conflict about these kinds of things. They're taking on everybody. They're putting it all over. They're filling their Facebook pages with all these memes and all these things where they're sticking it, sticking it, sticking it to everybody. This is, I am I, this is my position. And I just, as we were talking uh, minutes ago about the other, I was thinking to myself, why so excited about that point of resistance? Hmm. You follow what I'm saying is Mm -hmm. it, it, it makes me wonder if that point of resistance isn't more exciting because it doesn't have to particularly identify you with Christ and the cross. And so you think about the reality of how easy it is for us to get a fix of being important well, or have being heard or being whatever it is. It's a righteousness and, that's very easy to achieve. I mean, yeah, we can, we can get out there and get heard this way, but it really doesn't do, we can join with any number of people that are in militias all over the country where we're, where we're saying, yes, they're not going to take it. We're not going to take it anymore. We're going to cast down the tyrants. And in reality, what does it have to do with Christ? Mm. What does it have to do with the essence of what we're hoping to to see said as as pastors, believers? And of course, some people would try to draw lines here, draw lines here, draw lines here. But I don't know. I just I, I was looking at uh, Hebrews again, where he talks about resisting, and he's he's talking about resisting against sin. Mm. Yeah, and 
it's obvious that when he's talking about resisting against sin, he's not simply saying that they're resisting against their own temptations. Mm-hmm. He is. Mm-hmm. But they must be resisting against sin or the evidence of their resistance against their own temptations is so glaring that it's bringing on on onto them persecution. To the point that their property is confiscated, to the point that all these things happen to them. Mm-hmm. And then he says, no, you got to keep resisting. And you haven't yet gotten to the point where you're resisting to the, the shedding of your blood. Mm-hmm. And and I I read that and I just think, oh my goodness. Totally I, different kind I, of resistance. I, yeah, it's, well, it's a totally, it's not even, I, I don't even want to say it's a different category. It's just a different universe altogether. Yeah. Yeah. from what we're talking about when we're talking about resisting the tyrants who want us to they're going to put masks on us they're going to make us go into another lockdown they're going to you know delta variant and on and on and on we go and it's like i'm thinking about the reality of being a christian today and that stuff doesn't matter i mean i'm not saying i don't have an opinion about it I'm not saying that it isn't something, that there isn't political this and that and the other thing to it, but when it comes to uh, my... Well, the, they, they try to conflate their, I mean, it's like the Christ, their, their Christian faith and their anti-masking is like, I don't know, the same thing. Well, I think that's why I quit listening to talk radio years ago. I quit listening to talk radio. My wife and I talk about this sometimes. Why did you quit listening to talk radio? And I just think to myself, they don't ever lead me anywhere. That's helpful. Well, I, I they don't they don't lead me to a place where I actually am saying, you know, I'm just thinking about God. How can I be faithful to you? How can I? I and I and I, in the night when you're thinking, you think I have not. I have not. I have not. And it, my I have nots before God never have anything to do with Washington, politics. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, and I know that my faithfulness would bring about fruitfulness in my life mm-hmm. and in the lives of others. Mm-hmm. And then I listen to talk radio and they want me to get excited and zealous about all this other stuff. And I just think it is, it is a fool's errand. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm going to end up with nothing. I wonder if in order to avoid the telling, conflict. telling the truth and having yeah. conflict, no we'll, we'll get on the conflict train over yep. here yep. Yep. so that we can feel like we're actually doing something. Yep. But for Christ, I'm I, not sure we're doing anything at all. I think about, I think about Christ being here and I think, how upset he would be that his second amendment rights might be threatened. (laughs) And I think this is just absolutely absurd that Christ would be concerned about his second amendment rights being. Yeah. This is very difficult for me because going back to what you said about the inner city and people being abandoned to vulnerability in the inner city as we defund the police Mm-hmm. If you were to talk to the leaders of the BLM movement, Black Lives Matter, what they would say is, no, black men have been abandoned by the authorities. Mm-hmm. This is the right and just consequence of that. We're going to have to move in the opposite direction for a time because we have been oppressed. And 
we will reach equilibrium, maybe. We'll come out of the tunnel of chaos and we'll reach equilibrium where black lives will finally matter. And if we have to break some eggs to get to that point, then we'll break the eggs. I think a similar thing would be said by the people who say resist the tyrants. They would say, no, you don't care about truth. The fact is, this is our country. It was founded to protect religious liberties. When they tell you that you have to wear a mask, they tell you you may not sing in worship. They tell you you may not gather for worship. Yeah. They tell you to maintain social distances. And so this is an issue of not just civic privileges. Which would be important, they would say, anyway. Yeah. This is an issue of the Christian conscience. Mm-hmm. So at every point, you know, Second Amendment, don't you realize that this is the way that we protect the weak from their oppressors of government? You know, power corrupts, absolute power corrupts, absolutely. The gun is all we have left, right? And so on every one of these levels, the people who are schismatic in the church over yes masks, and it was so sweet because they were absolutely matched and seen. You know, I see you one and I match you 10 by the people who were against masks. In other words, we had a perfect storm of equivalencies between mask and no mask. Yeah. You know, and what I want to say is set all those issues to the side. Let's not try to come to an agreement about the relative importance to a Christian, okay, of masks, of guns, of the, you know, the accuracy of the, the voting polls, of, you know, all these chits, you know, all this stuff. Let's set this to the side, not because it doesn't matter, but let's set it to a side for a second and say, and this is what our elders said. What we have to do is be committed as elders to fighting for the peace of the church. Hmm. It doesn't matter whether we're right or wrong. Now, I know that sounds weird. It doesn't matter on on masks and all that stuff? It doesn't matter on any of it. Okay. If you're dealing with controversial issues, and the issue is not, is God a trinity? Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, or is he not? Okay. That it matters. But there there have to be a whole host of issues where... Right and wrong are not self-evident because we see it in Scripture. We see the Apostle Paul dealing with the issues of holy days and Sabbaths and saying, don't let anybody judge you. We see him saying the same thing about meat, eating meat, not eating meat. Don't oppress the weak man with your strength. Don't despise him. There have to be a whole host of issues today that Paul would treat in a manner parallel with the way he treated the most divisive issues in the church of the New Testament time. And so what really matters is that elders engage in conflict in such a way as to bring peace, okay? And the elders are not going to be right all the time in the larger issue. They may get the Second Amendment wrong. They may get mass wrong. They may get social distancing wrong. What matters is that we have agreed that there will be men whose calling is to rule in such a way, to engage in conflict in such a way that they bring peace to the church. 
And if those men abdicate that responsibility and say, well, who's going to get any of them to agree? Let's just divide. You know, if you don't like what your elders have done, you should leave your church and find another one. Then Christ is divided. It is the job of the elders to keep Christ from being divided in the church of Jesus Christ. And they cannot do that if they expect perfection, if the sheep expect perfection of judgment by them. The very fact that it's their duty means that they're right. Now, I know that sounds wacko because we all have a standard perfection for leadership and responsibility and peacemaking today. I don't know if I have a standard of perfection, but it just sounds like you don't care about truth. No, you do care about truth, and there is a hierarchy of truths. And the first truth is Christ is not divided. And so if you see that there is a group. But in- you wouldn't say that, you're saying this about things like masks, but you wouldn't say this about, you, and you said it earlier, you wouldn't say this about the Trinity. No, no. Okay. And there were was a time where the Trinity divided the church. Okay. And so it is the job of the elders to rule what what disagreements are not to be divided over okay. and what are to be divided over. Right. That's why I said at the beginning, let's take all these issues, and I didn't mention the Trinity. Right. Okay, I'm not mentioning the substitutionary atonement. I'm not mentioning the infallibility and inerrancy of Scripture. I'm not mentioning pornography. I'm not mentioning manhood and womanhood, male and female. Yeah. I mean, there's a whole issue, a bunch of issues that are controversial. I'm not mentioning. Right. But the issues that are understood to be in debate today where you have such gnashing of teeth in the church, mm-hmm. and it's exacerbated by every article on the internet every news media outlet, every politician, every public health officer, it is just at fever pitch. Mm. It is the job of the elders to fight in such a way as to keep Christ from being divided over those issues. Mm. Now, I know people listening to me are going to say, well, why would you put singing in that camp? And I would say, well, look, what our elders actually said to the civil magistrate was, if you bar us from singing, then we will disobey you. But even that decision, they may have been wrong on. Mm. I don't know. When has the church ever decided whether or not removing from singing by the civil magistrate, removing singing from worship, uh, violates the Christian conscience to a level that we must obey God rather than man? Mm. All I'm saying is it is the job of the elders of the church to make that decision. It is not the job of every individual Christian to make that decision and then argue with each other. Mm. The elder's job is to shut down those arguments and say, we may be wrong, but this is where we're going to stand as a church. Mm. And other pastors and elders who look at that church and talk to people in the church and say, your elders are cowards, your elders are ignorant, your elders aren't sufficiently conservative, your elders don't know the basics of statistics and public health. Those people are schismatic Mm. because, I mean, for heaven's sakes, this last year and a half, haven't we all learned that there's a limit of our knowledge, there's a limit of our statistics, there's a limit 
of our experts. They aren't actually experts. Mm-hmm. And there certainly is a limit to every individual Christian doing that which is right in his own eyes. Mm-hmm. So what's happened to the unity of the body of Christ? Christ has been divided over masks. Mm-hmm. And what I'm saying is if elders don't want to fight, don't want to engage in conflict, want to appear to be nice guys, what they will have is a divided church. And that's what's happened all over the country because elders have not been willing to call their people to follow them and to be humble and say, we may be wrong, but it is your spiritual obligation to follow us because otherwise we have allowed you to be divided by every man doing what is right in his own eyes. Mm. And that's a very bad situation to be in. And it's prevalent. It's everywhere in the church in the last two years. Mm -hmm. Well, the church, the civil... But but the church is just a mirror image of our lack of civil union, Mm -hmm. you know? Mm -hmm. And Christians are not supposed to allow that kind of perverse political nastiness Mm-hmm. to corrupt our fellowship. Now, I know that people are going to listen to me and say, well, you're just a quietist. You're yeah. just a, you know, you're just a pious, you know, uh, pie in the sky, by and by person. Yeah. And, you know, okay, I'll cop to you, it. You but, don't have the stomach for this fight. Maybe, yeah, maybe you're but, getting old or, I but don't know. The f- well, I don't think, I think that they would actually they wouldn't have said that about what you said if they understood what you were saying is that the elders had to engage in conflict in order to keep there from being conflicts about these non-essential things. If they understood that, they wouldn't ever accuse you of being a quietist. Mm. They, wouldn't have, they wouldn't say it. If they realized that the elders had to actually fight and say no to people at this place and at this place and at this place in order to keep unity then they wouldn't say that. Hmm. Yeah, but I don't think anybody would define the place that you fight as being the right place to fight. I think they'd say that you're being authoritarian. I mean, honestly, the most conservative reform guys are now using the word authoritarian for elders who are just simply trying to keep Christ from being divided. Right. And it's just like, are you serious? So now we've got the most conservative reform pastors and leaders in the country joining. You're an anti-Semite. You're a sexist. You're a racist. You're a homophobe. You're an authoritarian. And it's just been so discouraging to see that mm -hmm. in the last two years. I never thought I'd see one of my best friends in ministry. He goes public and he says, well, then you have authoritarian elders. And if I remember correctly, it was actually about masks. Hmm. You know, somebody wrote and said, what would you do in this and this? Well, then you have authoritarian elders. Mm-hmm. And they're not authoritarian when they're trying simply. You know, that is the assumption that the elders had personal commitments that caused them to make the decision they made in the church and they weren't making it for the good of the unity of the church. Mm-hmm. And that is always the way cynics approach their leaders. Mm-hmm. is they accuse them of having political commitments, financial commitments, ego commitments, you know, power trips, all this other stuff. Whatever decision they don't like, it's motivated by your perversity, your envy, your greed, your mm-hmm. and it's like 
can we please get back to an understanding of what elders are? Mm-hmm. Elders are supposed to keep Christ from being divided. That requires them to fight. Mm-hmm. And their fighting is to keep the people from fighting. And therefore, the people should submit to them, not because they're servicing their egos and because they're big and important people, their egos should be serviced. Right but rather because we should recognize that they're simply doing what they're doing to bring peace to the people of God and to make the lambs able to eat and their ewes able to eat in peace. I, I do want to persist in getting to this question about the difference between good conflict. I still think that good conflict is, I mean, it sounds stupid, but good conflict is for the glory of God and for the protection of his people and the salvation of the world. And there's no way of doing it without conflict. Mm-hmm. But conflict that's aimed at making more money, protecting your money, protecting your pride, your ego, yeah, yep. winning. Okay. Mm-hmm. So yeah, what we've said so far is that good conflict, essential to it, is being able to make a distinction between issues of primary importance versus secondary. That's part importance. of it, but I'm getting at something. I think is deeper, which is you're always going to have an argument with people who don't agree with your decision saying that they're motivated by, Mm -hmm. you know, bad motives. Right. And one of the things they'll do with this whole question of primary and secondary and tertiary things is they'll say that any decision you make is a violation of primary commitments. Right. They'll always escalate the importance of their particular conflict. Yeah, yeah. And so I don't know any way around that because it seems to me that every time the elders of a church and the pastors of a church work to bring peace, to adjudicate conflict, Mm -hmm. they are always going to be accused of raising the tertiary to the primary or of relegating the primary to the tertiary. I think one of the ways you know the difference between good and bad conflict is that in good conflict, you're able to step out of your own skin and dwell in the skin of your opponent Mm. and see things from his way. I've noticed that in good conflict, your opponent will often improve your arguments and then respond to that improvement. He'll say, well, you know, for the sake of argument, let me take what you just said and try to make it better. Mm. Okay, so, so... So say you said this, well, then my response would be, in other words, there's a little bit of objectivity and detachment that are communicated as the argument goes on, where you realize that what's going on is... It's not about their ego. Well, our egos are always involved. Sure. Okay. But it's not the principal thing. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's possible for myself. Now, maybe it is for you. I don't (laughs) think it's impossible for myself to engage in a long argument that's intense with another man without me sinning against him. Mm -hmm. There never, sin is lacking where there are many words. Mm -hmm. And often it will be me making fun of some personal character trait, some personal taste of clothing. or Well, yeah, of course, a guy that wears, you know, an ascot, you know, would would have the position you have. Or, well, you are kind of precious with your beard and mustache, you know. Yeah, yeah. In other words, I think our egos are always involved as leaders, let alone 
the people we're trying to bring conflict to. So I, I think if we set up a standard that there's no ego, it's just, it's stupid. You know, that will keep us from doing anything. Mm. But there is an awareness that we both care to tease out the truth or to at least take steps towards it. Mm-hmm. that we want God to be honored, that we want God's truth to be promoted, that we want to understand it better, that we want Christ not to be divided in the church. There are times that come in the work of elders where you just realize that person wants Christ divided. Mm-hmm. They want Christ divided. Mm. They hate this congregation. Mm-hmm. Are you guys going to agree with me? Or yeah, am I crazy? I agree. No, it's absolutely true. And you have to be able to recognize that. Mm-hmm. And then you're done. Warn a divisive man once, then a second time, then have nothing to do with him. Mm-hmm. But we're not talking about that. We're talking about cases where people really do love the church. They love Jesus. They love his bride. They well, you said you've said many times, and I think it's we should actually point it out as the goal. You said we do not want Christ's church, Christ divided. We do not want Christ divided. So there is a goal for unity. There is a goal for the protection of Christ and His church, right? And so, if you think about that related to conflict and what you said a minute ago about stepping outside of yourself, this is the first thing we talk to when we're doing marriage counseling or premarital counseling and we're talking about conflict in a marriage we look at a couple and we say you know if you get into a fight and you will the first thing that's going to happen is you're going to actually start to lose control that's the the normal thing that happens in a fight a fight develops because somebody's offended and then off you go to the races and you're and you're angry and you're hurt and you're this and you start to call names and you start to do these things and this mm-hmm. things and so the most important thing for you to do right at the beginning is to do the impossible thing or seeming seemingly impossible thing of exercising self-control you actually have to step outside of yourself and you actually have to look at yourself in this conflict and you have to look at your spouse in the conflict Mm -hmm. and then you have to see where you're uh not working toward the goal and where they're not and where they're not working toward the goal and you have to help one another go forward with it Mm. well it's it's the same thing in the church obviously but every conflict is that way and in all these things, we have a goal, whether it's to be at peace with our neighbor hmm. or to be at peace with our wife or to be at peace with the body, hmm. right? We're, we're constantly having to think about the reality of the existence of a goal that we're looking to have accomplished. Hmm. And, and an elder has to be able to make judgments about whether someone who's in the middle of conflict or group or have that as their goal or whether like we were talking, alluding to earlier, the man is being divisive. In marriage counseling, I think a lot of times good marriage counseling is teaching a couple how to fight constructively and well. Because what you notice a lot in marriage counseling is that the husband and wife don't understand each other and they're so brittle with each other that they won't take any risks towards understanding. Mm. And in marriage counseling, you need to encourage them to up the ante on their relationship and commitment by being willing to fight. Mm -hmm. 
and teaching them how to fight in a way that creates unity mm-hmm. and isn't intended to harm each other. Mm-hmm. But it's still fighting. It's it's real disagreements that hurt, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Well, how do you feel when I come home and do such and such? Well, it hurts me. It makes me so angry. Were you really going to expect a wife to say that without any emotional weight? And you expect that the husband's just going to continue to talk to her when he feels that emotional weight, even if it's in your office? Mm-hmm. I... I think that our problem today is that we don't have a high enough view of the necessity of conflict in a post-fall world. Mm. Mm. And I think an awful lot of conflict, we lie and refuse to see and refuse to accept our responsibility to adjudicate it so it's a fair fight and to bring peace as we can. I, I think it's very helpful to say that one way you can avoid or work for peace is by being committed to always speaking the truth. And a big part of that is telling people what you actually think. And I know that's, I mean, that's terrifying to me. (laughs) I know many people listening to this probably, it sounds terrifying. But if you're not willing to do that, then you will have ongoing conflict that'll be under, under the surface for a long time until it's not. And then you know, who knows what will happen. Yeah, sometimes in counseling, I'll have a pastor's college student or a younger pastor in with us. And typically that will be at a time when there is real tension. It could be a couple of men in the church. It could be any number of a variety of things, but there will be tension. Yeah. And so there's a couple of pastors in the meeting. And something will be said that's a tell if it were a poker table, you'd throw all your money on that one mm. because you just know what just went down. So you'll look at the man you're sitting next to as a pastor and he'll give you this like glassy-eyed look and you'll look <laughs> at the people that just said the things and and you'll think, am I an idiot or is everybody else here an idiot? <laughs> Did that go down that I just think went down? And then you'll talk to yourself well, don't you think most people in that situation are trying so hard to avoid the pain and the awkwardness? Yeah, yeah. And okay. so and so, what happens is you end up saying, well, um, you just said such and such, but you'll put a fine point on it. It's right. not just a tell now, <laughs> you know? Right. And sometimes- You're Bringing it out into the open. Yeah, sometimes they'll say, no, I didn't say that because, of course, they studiously avoided saying it right. clearly. Right. And so then you said, well, you said this and you said this and you said this and- I don't see how anybody could not conclude this. So yeah, that was, well, all right then. You know, that's typically, but let's say that they just immediately say, yeah, that's what I was saying. Sometimes I will look at the other pastor in the room, if he's younger, mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'll say, is that what you heard? <laughs> yeah, okay. And they'll look at me and they know they've been caught. Mm-hmm. And I'll do this in front of the people that we're mediating the conflict with. And I'll say, well, why didn't you say anything? Mm. and sit there (laughs) and basically what they'll say is well because i was scared out of my mind (laughs) yeah i could not quite imagine (laughs) putting that to words it's so scary yeah and then you realize the pressures there are on the elders of christ church Mm. to not bring peace Mm -hmm. but to have plausible deniability of what really what just went down 
you know, mm-hmm. and just to go along right. to get along. Before we end, I want to bring one thing up. Okay. And it's painful, but it's such a stark example of the, everything we've been talking about. If in a church you look, you will see that there are some children and some women, and in a university community, often young women, and some young men who have been sexually abused and molested by their family members. Mm-hmm. Okay? Yep. It's not that difficult to recognize, actually. It's not rocket science. And if you give them the freedom to come and talk to you or your wife, yeah. they actually will. Mm-hmm. Okay? Mm-hmm. Most churches will do everything they can to avoid anybody talking to them about that stuff. Mm. If you do let them talk to you, immediately you have an obligation, and that obligation is to be an agent of reconciliation between that victim and their family and the perpetrator, because usually it's a family system. Mm. Let's take the most hated example so that we're willing to go along with it, okay? And that would be a father who rapes his little daughter, Mm -hmm. and we've had several of those cases. Okay. When you have a man who rapes his own child, Mm -hmm. and typically it would be a girl, that girl has been told that if she ever breathes a word of this to anyone, Mm -hmm. her parents will get divorced, her father will leave. Uh, Sometimes they're threatened with violence. He will Mm -hmm. beat her, Mm -hmm. okay? And so that girl has to have the greatest confidence and faith in any older woman or any older couple to tell them what she's suffered her whole life. Mm -hmm. You know, I think of one woman who went over to another friend's house overnight when she was, I want to say, an older elementary school student. And she actually was going to sleep there. And when they were going to sleep, she was uptight. And she said to her friend, isn't your dad going to come in? Mm -hmm. That is how constant this little girl was raped by her father. And she just couldn't understand that every father didn't come in and sexually molest his child. That's what she was expecting to have happen. If we are willing to be shepherds of God's sheep mm-hmm. and to love them and to provide the protection they need, you know? The minute we do it, we're going to be in the most intense conflict you can imagine. Mm -hmm. Because first, you've got the obvious father. Right. But then right behind him is the mother. Mm -hmm. And it is typical for that mother to have had an idea, if not direct knowledge, of what's going on in her home. Mm-hmm. And you ever bring her out into the light, and there's not another human being on the face of the earth that will be sympathetic to you outing a mother who knew and didn't do anything. Yeah. Because that's just verboten, right? Mm-hmm. And then typically you will find out that the youth pastor, that the pastor himself, that the pastor's wife, that some professor at a Christian college, that the guidance counselor, you will find out that there's a whole network of people who have refused to protect the sheep. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. And then sometimes you'll find out that their Christian counselor hit it. Mm -hmm. 
And then if it is an actionable item in our church, our policy is you immediately go to the police. Mm-hmm. You immediately go to Child Protective Service. Well, imagine how a conservative reform church with homeschoolers and classical Christian schoolers who have, you know, that sheet of paper up on the wall next to their front door of how not to allow CPS into your home, you know. And all of a sudden, their elders are going to CPS and going to the civil authority because Mm -hmm. actually it's a felony. Right. And we believe in sphere sovereignty. So... The reason I wanted to talk about this is I would hope that the people listening will recognize that it is our calling to rescue the perishing, Mm. to vindicate justice, to be fathers to the fatherless. I mean, is there anybody more fatherless, a little girl whose father's raping her? Mm Mm-hmm. And yes, we know it's going to involve us in countless hours. It's going to involve us in that father hating us. Mm-hmm. You want to talk about why certain people hate us in this community? Mm-hmm. Here's an idea. We've had decades of experience of dealing with the sexual abuse of children. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. Can we be blunt here? Mm-hmm. And so... What we all have to decide is whether we're going to be soldiers for Christ. Yeah. You know, I mean, I. Are we willing to suffer hardship? And, and, you know, people can be cynical and say, well, that's an unusual circumstance. So, Max, can you address that? (laughs) It's not the greatest kept secret in the world, but (laughs) it is. It's just something that's completely ignored. It's completely overlooked. We don't want to look at it. We don't want to look at it in the schools. We don't want to look at it in the churches. We don't want to look at it in the daycare centers. We don't want to look at it anywhere where children are being preyed upon by family members. You you know, usually it's somebody close to the family or a family member. You know, the whole uh, stranger danger promotion, well, yeah, you know, ta- have your kids be careful. But There that, are the Bill but, Cosbys but in the, the world. But, but that guy is... is is like less than 10% of predators. 90% of predators are people that you know or your family members. Mm -hmm. And so this stuff is going on all the time, and it's in churches. If you walk into a church of 1,000 people and you realize that uh, 10% of them have had predation on them, at least 10% of them. That that low? I'm surprised. I'm just saying at least that many. Mary Lee and I... You so you think about ten percent, say forty to fifty percent. Well, yeah, but I mean, boys this is, and girls. This is how many reports. I mean, these are reports, and how many people never tell a soul oh, what's oh, going oh, on. Oh. I mean, think of the ones but, where they've been people in their forties and fifties that have come to us. But 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 don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. Just mm-hmm. just sit in your church on Sunday and look around the room 10%. and just say and That's just just take one out of every ten. Yeah. One out of every ten of us sitting here today has has had somebody pray so on us. Thirty in a church of three hundred. We have been that that person has been uh, oppressed and corrupted and lived their lives with fears and things that are to someone who hasn't had this happen to them. It's not a, a thing that they can relate to. That they live with this the shame and the filth of the thought of it on them all the time. And that's that's just sitting there with you on Sunday. I don't care what church you're in. I don't care how nice so you think. So when college students come here and they 
talk to us about what they've suffered at their home and they don't want to go home for Thanksgiving. And so we ask who their home church is. And David, you have the privilege of calling up the pastor and meeting with him. What reaction do you get? Well, they, they don't ever want to talk to you. They don't want to, they don't want to. And if they do talk to you, it's like, uh, let's get this done as engineerishly as possible. Let's mm. per, let's go through this as quickly as possible and get this into a slot somewhere that we can be done with it. Listen, if you're going to take on, they have no if, stomach for it. If you're all. going to take on caring spiritually for someone who has been a victim of sexual predation, if you're going to take on spiritually the work of dealing with somebody who has sinned in predation, if you're going to take on spiritually the work of dealing with a family that's been devastated by and has lived under the secrets of that predation for years and years and years, you're not taking on a job that can be done in 10 minutes and that can be solved with this program that we just threw together mm. that, you know, you go through this book and it's all done. Mm. You're taking on years and the, and the of truth care is, and commitment and, and uh, pain with them and in your experience uh, you men who've been doing working with this kind of situation for many years is that you're opposed every step of the way hated hated every step of the way by every and authority. especially every authority every yeah. authority who yeah. has refused to protect that child right they hate you Mm -hmm. Because, in fact, they did know or they sensed. Or if they didn't know and you bring it to them, they don't want to know. Right. And if you ask them in any way to be an advocate, to be a comfort, to be any way involved with it, they are furious at you. Mm -hmm. And I mean, this is universally true. I would say universally true. Mm -hmm. yep. And the people that appreciate you, ironically, are the judges are the lawyers, are the policemen, the law enforcement mm -hmm. officers, because finally they see that the mediating institution is mediating. Yeah. They see that there is some harmony between the ecclesiastical authority and the civil authority, mm -hmm. and that the ecclesiastical authority is actually wanting to help the civil authority mm -hmm. to bring peace. Mm -hmm. Now, I brought that up as an example for this reason. We're just talking about the sexual devastation of little children in Christian homes. Mm -hmm. Everybody will agree that this is a case of conflict, right? Oh, yeah. When pastors get involved in it, pastors are bringing peace there, mm -hmm. right? right? They're trying to restore a sense of beauty to femininity of a girl, mm -hmm. of the safety of being a woman, there, of, of the sanctity of the marriage, bad. You know, in other words, we're peacemakers, right? Yeah. Now, everybody's going to agree to that here. Right. I want to make the point that the same is true for embezzlement, the same is true for gossip, mm. the same is true for greed, the same is true for pugnaciousness, mm -hmm. the same is true for how people dress, how young women with rich parents carry themselves in the youth group. Mm. Everywhere you look, you have sin harming other people. You have some sinners harming some who are innocent. You have marital struggles. What is marriage counseling? But 
being a peacemaker between a man and his wife. Mm -hmm. In other words, can we please just all chill out and resign ourselves to doing the work that God has ordained for elders and their wives and pastors and their wives and deacons and their wives? And, and don't be bothered by people calling you a troubler in Israel yeah, by, by bringing stuff like to light. Because the joy of seeing safety restored mm -hmm. to a young woman mm -hmm. and having her for the first time in her life be accepted as clean, mm. teaching her that she is not responsible. Yeah, she may have sinned in some way in the thing, but she is a victim. Right. But not said by some feminist. Right. right. But said by a man of God who explains to her how authority and power were abused in the most awful way. And she is right to be in torment but God can bring healing to her. That's a peacemaker. Conflict is inevitable in this world of sin. It just is. If you understand that, then you'll be able to understand that a godly man will not only be engaged in conflict on a regular basis, but that his goal in conflict is to bring peace. Jesus said, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. A peacemaker is not a man who has flowers in his hair. A peacemaker is a man who has mud on his face and blood on his shirt because he's been doing the hard work of making peace. Thanks for listening. My name is Lucas Weeks, and our conversation today was with Tim Bailey and Max Corral. We serve as pastors at Trinity Reformed Church in Bloomington, Indiana. For more great content, please visit warhornmedia.com. To support this podcast, you can donate at patreon.com slash outofourminds. And don't forget to register for the Shepherds Conference. Bye for now.